0: Hello, this is Charles Wiz, Tony Silva, and we are two teachers talking. As we always say at the beginning of our podcast, we get together and Tony and I talk about teaching, teaching in Japan and all the things that we're thinking about and trying to improve and trying to figure out and this ongoing adventure called teaching. And this is episode 87. It's a lot of these episodes, Tony. Hmm. I can't even remember most of them. Can you?
1: Well, I work with <laughs> I work with them a little bit more, so yeah, I I do remember a lot of. Them. That's
0: true because you're you're doing all the production, so you get you have to listen to them more often than I do.
1: Listen to, and yeah, look at the the, the web page and things, so I, I see the lists and you know looking at the stats and things like that. So, okay, yeah, it's which a little more fresh. I, you know, it's a little more fresh in my mind.
0: That makes sense, which is proof that review and note taking is really beneficial for remembering things. There you go, but this is as we said, episode 87, and today we're, it's one of these interesting topics, Uh, at least I think so, but it's a difficult topic. It's why do teachers just stay the same? Why do teachers not change, or why when we walk past classrooms so often do we see the, what is it? It's a sage on the stage, (laughs) right? I have have a real hard time saying that. Can you say that easily? It's hard to say. Can you say
1: it? Can you say it three times? I don't think so. I, mean, I was trying okay, to I'm flip it a... around, calling it the stage stage.
0: Stage, 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 <laughs> stage, stage, stage. <laughs> stage, stage that, that, that. Right, it becomes a tongue twister. But it's it's a question I think we really wonder about, is why do we see so much traditional, old-style classrooms? And is that some kind of aberration because we're in Japanese universities, or is it a norm? Is it something that's just going to happen? What would cause people not to become more you know involved with the student-centered kind of teaching system so tony what do you think what's going on or should we start off with that incredibly hairy question is trying to figure out what student-centered teaching is because i think everybody understands the lecture model where the teacher talks or the teacher-centered model and the teacher for most of the time is the center of the classroom and students attention is focused on the teacher and following the directions of the teacher but what happens when we get into that gray area the gray zone of student-centered teaching
1: well, I think the 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 term, um, whatever it once meant, has uh, kind of I don't know if it's lost meaning or if it's gained other meanings, and now it seems like it can mean almost whatever you want it to mean. I'm reminded of the, you know, the blind men with the elephant, right? And they, one one of them's feeling the leg, the other one's feeling the tail, the other one's feeling the trunk, and they can't get any consensus of what an elephant looks like. <clears throat> And I think that's you know, I kind, wonder, of, kind of the
0: case with students that are teaching. It's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I keep thinking of the image, but I think that everybody is like the same, is that everybody can see the elephant, and everybody can feel, touch the elephant, and everybody has all their senses working, and they still can't get a consensus on the elephant because they're teachers. <laughs> Might be the nature of the beast, but yeah. you're right. I think that it's been used and bandied about so much that there's so many ways of defining it. I think... About a year ago, um, two years ago, some of my um, seminar students, one of them who was working on her graduation thesis on student-centered teaching, was looking at how um, preparation and guidance and directions increased production in a a student-centered activity. She came up with something like, I think she found like 120 different definitions of student-centered teaching. (laughs) 120? 120? Some huge amount. I remember that's, that's, that. Um, that's impressive. <laughs> well, what happened is she she showed me this list, and maybe I'm exa- and maybe I'm exaggerating. I probably am exaggerating. It was an incredible number, mm-hmm. and I remember that I suggested to her that for when she does her pro- did her presentation for. Her, her research, that what she should just do is say, okay, I'd like to show you the definitions of students that are teaching. And she just sat there and like tapped and tapped and tapped and tapped on the, on the arrow bar, you know, to proceed forward through her slides. Mm-hmm. And it just kept on flashing and going on forever. It seemed how many different ways there are to define student-centered teaching. But I think the easiest way is to say that, you know, for X amount of time or during a certain time, that the student's attention and focus is on other students and their work, and is not on the teacher. Would you accept that? I'll accept it. Okay, so I guess we're done. with
1: <laughs> Well, at least with that <laughs> part of it. I mean, defining it. I mean, if you want to, we, that's a
0: good working definition, I guess. Right, because it's 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 a, a difficult thing to say. It's kind of like um the thing that happened with. Task-based learning. Do you remember when it was task-based learning, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and said recently has become task-based activities, Mm -hmm. because as we, as most teachers know, and I think is now becoming more widely disseminated, is that there's just no one way to teach things. There's just not one like task-based learning or content-based learning, right, or communicative-based learning. It's you got activities, and you have to put them all together. So that the students can learn and we can meet their needs. But when we're talking about student-based learning, we're, or student-centered learning, what you're really talking about is, I guess, really the teacher just being quiet, getting out of the way of the learning and giving students the opportunity to actually engage in the learning, work together, help each other. But well, we've got um, to
1: have the labels and create these false dichotomies so that we can write our research papers.
0: Is that right?
1: <laughs> Make it sound like we're doing something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep going. Just Pretend I didn't say anything. <laughs> Somehow that's going to be a little bit difficult. But I think we, we know that there's this problem there. So when we talk about student-centered learning and what we know about learning and, you know, the students learn more when they're doing and when they're actively engaged with each other and, the question then becomes why do we see so much or so i see you know when i walk past classrooms it's 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 i guess it's anecdotal but i would say that 95 percent of the time that when i walk past classrooms the teacher's talking i very rarely see a teacher not talking and students working in groups what about for you, Tony, do you have the kind of the same experience that when you just happen to see what other teachers are doing that most of the time it's that way? It seems like
1: I don't, I don't, well, I don't see other classrooms as much as I used to, but it's certainly what I, that's certainly my memory. I see a, a lot, I used to see a lot of that um, for sure. Uh, but yeah, recently I just, I just don't see it. In in fact, the classes that I have seen, uh, actually that, has, that hasn't been the case, it was a uh, 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 the next building over so i was looking to, out my window through the window to another classroom in another building and um this teacher it was a, an english teacher i i knew her and um i not this year it was in in, a, in previous year's last year or two uh, classrooms have changed and things but uh she would regularly have her kids all standing walking around talking and and smiling and things so uh but i would i my gut tells me that you're right. Most of them are not like that. But a lot of it a lot of the times it's Just see what you know, we don't know exactly what they're teaching either. You know, is it is it really a language class? Is it is it a communication class? Is is it something else? Possibly it's a content class. I don't know. But um to I mean get to the point it's like why it hasn't changed, I think there's a lot of factors. Um something that we talked about uh a long while ago. Uh, about the limitations of the traditional classroom right i mean the classroom the logistics of it are, is just set up for that kind of instruction um, you know desks that don't move um you know, all, all facing the, you know uh, the boards all at one end of the room you know whether it's a blackboard or a whiteboard or a uh, projector whatever it is that you're using it's in one place and the the classroom's all just set up with all the students facing um, the the front of the classroom. So that, in order to get out of that, you really have to sometimes, sometimes, you know, you've got to make an effort. But sometimes it's almost impossible, right? With, with fixed furniture and things like that. So I think that that's a contributing factor. I think um, different um, schools, different departments, uh, because of the way the curriculum is set up and the way that the classes are defined and how, um, the you know the, the the school's expectations of what the teacher is supposed to be teaching and how they're supposed to be teaching it can can be very restrictive. And uh, uh, the other thing uh, is that um, you know even if you've got okay the perfect flip, <laughs> you know flip your classroom and then you know you're you, you've got everything uh, coming from the student end. Uh, it's it's just one class for, for the kids, right? Um, it's not gonna make a huge change in their learning methods, the, the way that they have learned, because the students themselves are, uh, have been trained, um, to learn in that way, right? To have the teacher give them the information as the information giver. Um, that's their expectation. And um, a lot of them don't know how to learn on their own. I mean, obviously that's something that you teach. It's something that I teach. Maybe one of the most valuable things that we do teach um, is training them in a new way so that they can learn how to learn, right? Oh, you mean?
0: On our best days. Google it. (laughs) Google it. Excuse me, Mr. Woods. Google it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just, I think that's just, Uh, What you've done is you've just, I think, nailed it, Tony, Mm -hmm. is that you can't really have a student-centered classroom unless it's a student-centered learning experience across the curriculum. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like manners. It's like teaching them manners and asking them to say, thank you, excuse me, you're welcome. If you're the only person doing it, what's going to happen is that they will isolate that or somehow students will Determine that that behavior is only needed in your classroom at that given period of time. And because it's not being integrated and reinforced and used in the other classrooms, it becomes just an anomaly for them. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, because they have 13, 14, 15 classes. And if each teacher is doing something different, it's like, well, you know, nothing's going to stick. Um, they're just going to kind of try to get by with <laughs> with minimal change and just adapt as much as they absolutely need to and get on to their next class where they're going to have to do something else. So and unless it's part of a, uh, you know, the the culture uh, of the of the school and part of the, you know, b- baked into the, the curriculum and things, it's um,
0: it's going to be a hard role. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That that baked in. Mm. That's such a real key thing. Because really, what I feel like I'm just doing is providing, like, you know, topping for something. Mm. And that it's just, again, that what happens in the classroom, I know a bunch of other teachers who are doing more student centered, you know, learner centered activities in classrooms. But I'm just wondering, you know, it's definitely nowhere near 50% is my guess that the nature of the class, most university classes are lecture based um and the thing is that what we're looking at as you said is that there are physical limitations it's really hard to do a student-centered class right when the room the desks don't move and the chairs don't move it's a traditional lecture room that they put us into there's that It's just you're you're already struggling with the room and fighting with the room and as a teacher you're always looking for the path to least resistance to get the learning Mm -hmm. to take place so yeah, I always, when I walk into those classrooms, I always just go, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think I I mentioned this before, that at one school, um, they built a new building, and it's all very nice and fancy. And when I walked into the classroom, the classroom was set up as a traditional classroom. You know, there's a riser in the front, two boards, two projectors aimed at the front. Um, interestingly enough, the projectors are in unison. They're not like, you can't put two different things on the... Right, exactly. (laughs) Right. And by the... Oh, and... (laughs) You know we see that right, so yeah that <laughs> that's that kind do. of but here's the really weird thing, so you know that I kind of looked at, and I said, okay, that's obviously a top down decision. some you know people got together, a bunch of architects and people who did not really spend any time in the classroom, just went ahead and designed the class to make it look nice and make it look fancy, and nobody bothered to ask teachers what they wanted and then I think I sent you the picture. remember I was really excited about there's the one classroom I have that has like totally movable chairs, little tiny chairs. Um, chairs and desks and the desks and the chairs are separated. They're all on these really smooth wheels and everything can be moved around really nicely. And there were the mini whiteboards. Mm -hmm. I think I sent you that picture, right? And so that there's like eight whiteboards for a class of about, you know, that fits about 30 people. So you can get a whiteboard to each group. What's really funny is that every time I walk into that classroom, (laughs) someone has put the the desks and tables back into traditional inline rows and columns, (laughs) so even well, the in way they're supposed situa- to be right exactly <laughs> so even in a situation where it's like you know what's going on and what's really funny is i see the students after the class sometimes putting the tables back into rows and i just say no just leave it alone let's let's the other teachers you know just walk into a room where things are a little bit you know more group oriented student centered so there is that inertia, and even in the face of knowing things, I think that, you know, whether or not it's top-down administration level, but even from the individual teachers, there's still that continuation of well, the teachers at the front, the teachers at the center of what's going on. But that's and, that's
1: well, that's no surprise, right? Because there's oh, I want no... it to be a
0: surprise. I want it to be surprising.
1: Exactly what you expect, because um, for the teacher, there is no reward. For breaking out, there's no reward for doing something different, and there's, you know, there any kind of revolutionary action. There's great risk. Um, you know, one student complained. It's like, well, you know, what do you, what is he doing in class? It was like, would your, what about your lecture? What your lecture? Uh, why, why aren't you teaching them? Um, the. Breaking out of that old mode, um, in, I think involves a, a, a significant risk for the teacher. If it doesn't go well, um, it's he or she is going to be kind of put, put in a position of having to defend. And you know, you can, I mean, you can pull out the research, et cetera, et cetera, but it won't make a difference because you're already tarred and feathered.
0: Do you really think that's going to happen? It could. Honestly.
1: It could, and the, do you the think that a student complaint have nothing that? to do with what the way that you're teaching, right? But it's just one student complaint about anything, it's gonna you're gonna be put under the microscope, and I do believe that there's some, it, you know, if you already have a black mark against you, um, yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna tell you to do it do it the old way.
0: Yeah, the only uh, yeah maybe I guess that's true because I know that I explained to my students that in my classes, I said, you're going to be talking a lot with each other working in groups. And most of the time, I'm not going to be talking. And they look at me, and I just look at them. And I say, look, I don't want to work, I want you to work. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, explaining to them that I'm already fluent, I don't need to talk. Mm. But I think I can see what you're saying that there might be some resistance. I'm wondering, though, if we actually just look at people who want to do student-centered teaching. For example, uh, I know that when we're I'm working with student teachers and they're going out and they're trying to do their student teaching and apply the theory that they learn. And one of the really common questions that comes up is, how do you do a student-centered class in a junior high school or a high school or an elementary school? And especially for us, I think though, because we're really talking about university education where you kind of transfer that over is, you know, is there a minimum level, English ability level? Is there a minimum certain skill level, content level needed to have a student-centered class? Or can you run a student-centered class with any level? What do you think? Well, I teach
1: kids of all levels, um, like, from you know, from kids who really can't put a sentence together to,
0: you know, People do not, do not, bright, bright, not talk bright, about me that way. Okay,
1: bright, bright <laughs> students who are bright students who are also fluent, like graduates from um, um, high schools overseas, and you know, and very capable. So I, I teach the gamut, um, and at the at the, the at the upper end, yeah, it's, it's it's you know, it's it's a piece of cake. I mean, because they're they're bright, just go to work. They're yeah. bright, they're motivated, and they're they they'll just go. They just go. So and, and they know how to learn. They obviously. And at the other end, um, there is more uh, input necessary. I need to I need to tell the students more. I have to give them more. I have to explain uh, structures. I have to explain patterns, you know, basic vocabulary. Uh, but even though they are uh, beginners, beginners, um, I still uh, have a at least half to, let's say half the class where they are um, expected to converse as best they can, at, at, you know, within a, you know, limited uh, scope. And these are kids uh, like uh, English firsthand one level type classes, right? So you start off with, um, like, usually, with like, you know, there's listening and then there's information gap. And then um, I help them bridge that information gap thing into more of a free, you uh, free conversation and they, they, they can, they can do it kind of. Um, but, um, I, I think at a, at a lower level than, I mean, like a real, real beginner where you're, you know, kind of just like getting out of the alphabet into basic words. Um, it's, I think it becomes harder to do because just, you just don't have the, you know, the, the tools, the ability to, to, to do it. Right.
0: And I also think we have the additional problem is that if they're at that point in a university language class, then it's not just a, a language ability correct issue, Right. There's a lot of other conflating factors, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and there's things you can do. You know, you teach them how to make their own, like, hangman-type game, word type games. So you have, like, um, um, you know, cards, decks of cards with pictures, and, you know, they have to you know, match the pictures and say what's on the picture. This is a chicken. This is a duck. This is a fire truck, <clears throat> whatever it might be. So there's things you can do. You just have to, what you said before, though, at the very beginning of this, it's just like the teacher's got to want to do it. Because <laughs> if you're if you're, if you just lukewarm about it, it's like, well, maybe it's a good idea. It, it It's probably not, for that person, it's not going to be worth the effort. But you've got to want to do it.
0: And this is, I think, the main thing. And this is, I try to explain this to some people who are more traditional teachers, is that it is so much more difficult to plan a class where the students are actively engaged for 90 minutes than it is for me just to get up and lecture. Mm -hmm. That's just the easiest thing in the world compared to... Designing activities and getting the activities and the group work and getting the students set up and making sure they understand what to do and keeping them on task, it's just so much more work and I think one of the major reasons that it's not we still have a more of a lecture based education system is just because of the amount of effort required
1: yeah and it's 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 not only that it's more work but it's also maybe requires more skill, more creativity, more talent, maybe, um, to put something well, together I, that works that works well, to be able to pull that off to do it successfully. Um it's not just work. It's 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 work plus. I
0: think oh you know I'm not sure, you know, how I feel about that because my initial response ideally as someone in this field is if I'm not skilled at something, if I'm not good enough at something, if I'm not able to do something, then I need to work on getting those skills and abilities, and that's why I, I say it's work. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, okay. With that, with that broader really...
1: definition of work, then yeah, then, we're, then we
0: agree, right? Is that you know, it's it's really hard. Um, you know, every few years, there's always something that turns us over. Remember, I think when we got started, it was all communicative-based learning and grammar. Focus on form was not important. And then as research came out, it showed that, again, a blended model, you know, something that includes everything because there's just no one way to do things and you have to adapt and modify your teaching. And it's a lot of work.
1: Mm. You
0: know, you get used to a certain way. Oh, you know what? I can have my students just, you know, in conversations for 90 minutes. That's good enough that they're engaged. They're speaking, they're listening, they're taking notes and and then you find out, well, you know, that's just not quite enough. Now you have to include more of a focus on form as you have to change something. And then you find out that maybe the way you've been giving feedback isn't right and there's a better way to give feedback. And it's like, well, no, now I have to change my communication style. I have to monitor myself. I have to – It's. I think it's, it's – a, a lot of it is just work, how much work people want to do. But I think the other side is that it's also that – there's just not a lot of support for it. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of um, I don't know what's the best word. What's what's the expression? I keep thinking I keep thinking what I'm co- what I would call co- cosplay in you know Japanese education where they use words you know active learning, innovation, and diversity is the new one that keeps coming up. Although I really have like I have to have somebody explain that to me um, in Japan how they're interpreting that but that these things the fad styles come in and everybody embraces them but nobody but, and uses them but nobody actually implements them deeply and looks or not nobody but you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. here um and i think student centered learning is just something that we can ban- uh, um educators can bandy about um, like for example in japan what's the term now active learning i've is heard the that term. yeah <laughs> yeah and I kind of like, you know, I said to some, again, you know, when my, I opened my mouth and I just kind of watched myself talk and get into trouble, which I seemed to be on a really bad run recently, is I just said, I'm sorry, isn't all learning active by definition? Is there really passive learning? Um, and, you know, that just showed me the gulf and how I viewed things compared to the people I was talking to hmm. viewed things because active learning is, uh, you know, from the Ministry of Education. That students should be more interactive and engaged with each other, and but you can't do those things. You can't implement these kind of activities unless there's real support, unless there is a change, and it has to be not just something that students get when they get into a one or two university classes when they're a freshman, and then they maybe get one or two a, a semester, as semesters. You point out if it's not across the curriculum, if it's not consistent, you know students are going to make the best choices for themselves in terms of energy and effort. And they will adapt to each class and each teacher's demands and expectations. So, but I think I sound grumpy, but what is new?
1: But that's a, that's a, I mean, that's a legitimate response to the situation, right? Because there's, um, we're fairly powerless to change anything. I think that we can, with some, um, you know, ob- you know, some astute observation, we can see where the roadblocks are, but we really don't have the power to do anything about those roadblocks or impediments. There's our hands are tied. So I don't think it's inappropriate to get grumpy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I think the what you you can do in the face of that is you can just run your class as much as possible mm-hmm. with a focus on the students and having them engaged with each other um, and making sure that you know, they're getting the correct materials. But here's where um, I get the resistance from the students the most, is that for a student center class or whatever you want to call it, and where our students are going to be doing tasks, working together, it's really hard for them to understand that the homework is preparation for the class. They still don't quite get that. And you know, you see the students just doing their homework you know, before class, or they do it a day before, because homework's just something that's required. But mindfully doing their homework, because it's built, it's going to be preparation for the class, getting that shift is also hard. And that goes back to exactly what you said, is that we're Teaching in an isolated situation where there's not a lot of reinforcement in all the other classes, and the behavior becomes an anomaly. Well, switch it on at nine o'clock, switch it off at ten thirty Monday and you're done. yeah I think I think we're button
1: up coming across the other side of the corner we talked before, but that the that the teacher has to want to do the this this type of teaching, implement it and and get this train the students to do it. However, the other part of it is, is that um when you have students. That don't really want to learn, uh, it becomes almost impossible to do what you just described, right? Because, you know, and there are classes out that d- d- students don't care. They're they're in the class because they have to be. Um, they're maybe in. They don't know why they're at college or university because they don't want to go to work. But that's because that's what their friends did. If learning isn't part of what they want to do, implementing this kind of, this approach is, it becomes much more difficult. Um, you know, we I don't think you can just assume that the students actually want to learn something. Um, I'm lucky in that um, in most of my classes, right. mo- yeah, most of my classes, students do, and, and, or I've been able somehow to light a little bit of a, a fire, making it quote unquote fun, um, you know, we, we talked a long time ago, you know, achievable goals and, you know, reward for achievement and et, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in, um, I, I guess maybe, I can just maybe say one class, and even that one class, it's 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 not everybody. It's maybe like half the class. Um, they don't want to learn. They <laughs> They just don't want. They don't want to do anything. Be very,
0: very anything. quiet. <laughs> <They> just, just, <laughs> there are wabbits here. <laughs> like,
1: is it, uh, you know, what time is it? Do we get to go home yet? Um, but again, I, I'm lucky. I just had right now. I've just got one of those classes. There were, you know, long, long time ago. Um, there were a lot of classes <laughs> like that, and um, you know, flipping that is uh, is a, is a much more difficult task.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really valid point. Is that the kind of group work task based learning student centered learning we're talking about works with students who are used to working together and know how to learn um and i'm going to avoid that 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 shady gray area of motivation because it's yeah, just yeah, such no, we a, don't, a murky area. right 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 yeah. and I, you know what i've i've decided instead of you by the way this is a little aside or not a little but um I'm working again with some students on their graduation thesis they're coming trying to come up with their research topics and motivation is always like a very popular topic and I finally turned to somebody and I said you know whatever I hear re- hear about motivation you know does anybody ever ask students whether or not they're interested in the subject I do Be- yeah right okay but you know what I'm saying <laughs> I right? do when know we what you're read saying. most of these motivation studies it, there's I would like okay how interested is the student in the subject because if the student has low motivation but high interest then you got you know, that's okay. Something interesting is happening. Right. But it makes complete sense that if I have no interest, I have no motivation. Right. So instead of talking about motivation, I'm trying to direct my students more to talking about interests. So if the student has no interest in, let's say, English learning and perceives no need for English learning and sees no reason that learning English will, there will be a return on investment for their effort and their work, then not engaging in the class and trying to achieve a minimal passing grade is a very rational behavior. You know, you're actually dealing with a rational agent. Mm. And at that point, you're right, trying to get that student to work in groups because when you move to that student-centered model, you really are looking at not only really students, but now you have to shift it into a learner, and that's a very different kind of person the student and i'm using that in the sense that the student is somebody who is in a educational setting but is going is only doing what they need to do to get through it whereas the learner is someone who's actually trying to intellectually and let's say psychologically and emotionally grow and obtain information and try to put that information together to develop you know an understanding of their topic or the world, Mm. that kind of student, you know, of course you put them into a group, they're going to be able to figure out and find the value and figure out why something has use. Or if that student turns to you and says, you know, this activity is a waste of my time, you better really stop and take that information into account and really redesign your activity. But if you're looking at someone who's just there trying to figure out what is the minimum I need to do to get through this? Hmm. I think you're banging your head into a wall mm. and I'm going to be the first person who's going to say, I'm sorry. I'm just not a good enough teacher to get that hmm. student interested. Yep. yep, And I just teach too much and just don't have the energy anymore to, you know, figure out ways to get that student. And here, and you know, Tony, this is what it is. I think, right. It's not that it's a one-off effort. It's that if you really are committed to that student-centered approach and you're working with students who are not ready for it or geared to it or don't have the basic background or skills, it's that you're going to constantly be banging your head into a wall. And how long before you just, you know, say, look, you know, I'm, I don't have any more aspirin. Yep. I just, <laughs> I can't do this. So I think we have to divide it into the people who don't even want to make the effort because Maybe their mindset is that they're more traditional and this is how they were taught to teach. And this is what they know. And then there are people who want to do it. And because of the varying factors that can occur somewhere on that that scale, they're not able to achieve a student-centered kind of group work, you know, environment. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. So there. <laughs> <laughs> And you know it is hard, right? I mean, you know, trying to find ways to keep unengaged students engaged. And there are teachers who are working in those kind of environments, really committed people. Who, and this is where burnout comes from, I think. Yes, right, is that you go in and you know you know you have good activities, you know they're well designed, they're pedagogically you know sound, they've worked before, and they nothing just works and doesn't work and doesn't work, and the students. Don't want to do them, and they don't want to engage. Yes, yes, and-
1: exactly. It's like you know, yeah, you're geared up. It's like you, you know that what you've got, you, you know that like you said, you know it works, and you have prioritized their their learnings. So this is something that you want to do, and you walk, you know, in some you, some classes, you walk in there, and you're the only <laughs> the only person there who's <laughs> who's got this on their <laughs> agenda. It's like it's you versus them, and it's like oh man, those those classes can be very very hard
0: right and so you know all you can really do is have small you know again it's like the task-based learning versus task-based activities yeah just you're just gonna have to go very 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 small yes and this is the I think this is the part that, from experience, really hurts the most. Just you know, you start with just a little bit, and you build the next week, and you're just doing that. You know, plus one minute, plus one minute, plus one minute, and after 15 weeks, you maybe you've got them so that you know what they can actually do four 15-minute tasks, right? Mm-hmm. You've trained them there, you know, in the sense of provided them with you know the appropriate way to look at the work and be able to do the work and interact with each other, and then they're gone. And now you're going to have to start off with a new group again. Mm. That just is like, oh, no. But if it's being done across a curriculum, then it doesn't matter. Because then you're going to get next semester, you're going to get students who are already used to that. And suddenly, you know, oh, you did that. You'd have four years, right? You'd have a turnover of a generation, right? Mm -hmm. No need to wander in the desert for 40 years. You just have to wait four years. And you've got a completely recycled group of students who are... Ingrained into that kind of milieu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're very quiet, Tony. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm agreeing with what you say. <laughs> no, That's unusual.
1: Uh, nothing for me. Nothing for me. To, yeah, nothing. No. Nothing for me to add there. It's like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah.
0: yeah. But
1: um, yeah. So I, I, talk, I I mentioned that um, yeah, we're powerless, and there's nothing. There's nothing we can do. Um. But I don't know. Is that is that true? I mean, is there is there something that you, I, um, other teachers in in our spots uh, can do to help the situation in some way? I don't. I don't know. I'm just throwing the question out there. I can't think of anything
0: myself. But well, let me. Okay, answer. Make it a rhetorical question and answer it yourself. What do you really think? That's what uh, I thought.
1: <laughs> I think I don't know I think it depends on the um, I'll say the political structure of, of the department that in charge of the classes that you're teaching and depends on the the coordinator of that department um, my guess would be that a lot a lot of I'm not saying I won't say the majority but I'll say a lot of a lot of the coordinators would probably welcome um, teacher feedback or input of this kind. Um, You know, say, hey, listen, this is what I'm doing in my classes, and uh, I was just wondering if, you know, I'm I'm getting really good results. I'm wondering if anybody else is doing that. Maybe at this next mandatory meeting that we've got, maybe you uh, you could – Mention some some uh, some of this stuff if if you think it's a good idea. Hmm? Um, I know that <laughs> there's many teach many coordinators that would appreciate that. I know, you know there's probably a, a, a number of them that are be, feel like extremely threatened by that. Um, but. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm just I'm thinking out
0: loud. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, if you're a coordinator, and you're threatened by that. Please find another job. Well, that's why. No, why, why would you?
1: Why would you? You hit the jackpot. You're sitting <laughs> <laughs> Duck in cover, man. You're, you're in the catbird seat. It's like, why would you go for another job? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I know. But I mean, you're, you're a coordinator program. You've got like motivated teachers coming to you with ideas. Yeah, oh no! Like, what oh, a terrible gee. thing! Oh my god! Welcome well, I mean, the Patch.
0: T- well,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but go you know, so, back to other thing that I said before. I think there's um, I, I think there's you know taking a new approach of any kind. Okay, students are learning for as an example, but any kind of change, <laughs> um, is involves risk. Um. People, whether they're students, other teachers, or coordinators, um, I think I think most people um look at any kind of change with a little skepticism, and they're a little bit leery of it because they're not sure it's like, well, what is what is this? What, who's rocking the boat here? Um, people, you know, a lot of people, most people, I think, fear change. To okay. quote Wayne and Garth we fear change is that is,
0: is that where that's from uh, yes first one or second one i think it's the first one okay a long time <laughs> since i watched that movie party on I mean. party on garth <laughs> <laughs> you know i was i've been reading this book um i think it's called the fusion of innovation uh, and in it the author I th- see if I have this right defines technology as any tool or artifact that reduces uncertainty or something to that effect and you know I thought that was an interesting definition but what what really happens I think is you're right is that any kind of change any new system any way of dealing with something that hasn't been done before is you have such a high level of uncertainty and people's goal, I think what drives people in many ways, is, you know, reducing uncertainty, which is actually one way of defining risk, right? Risk is the degree of uncertainty and how much, you know, not knowing um, will actually impact you. It's risky behavior to change. Uh, very rarely are we actually rewarded for our innovations or doing things, except from other teachers who will embrace the changes.
1: Or or, our st- but, or let, me, let me just add, or our students.
0: Right. Yeah. Who The ones who are really open and can uh-huh. really uh-huh. see that and really appreciate it. And again, you know, those are the students who want to learn and really know how to learn. I think when I'm working with those kinds of students, that they really get how I approach a classroom. And there's another set of students who really, really don't like me at all and don't like how I teach because it's like, no, I am not going to fill up the 90 minutes for you. Right, You're going to have to come in. You're going to have to be prepared. You're going to have to be ready. You're going to have to be working with other students. You're expected to use the language regardless of your level. You've got all the tools in front of you. Now go ahead and do it. And I know for, I have <laughs> this one student, and it's just so obvious, clearly clear to me that they hate my class. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of it is because they're expected to work. And I'm not filling in 90 minutes and holding their hand and guiding them. And it's not an issue of an introverted versus extroverted student, which um, is, by the way, is something that's very difficult, I think, is that a student-centered class can be a little bit difficult for introverted an introverted student. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about, really, is that, again, if the student... Doesn't want to, well, that's really a lot of the, resi- it, it doesn't matter whether it's a teacher or the student. I just realized the pr- thing about student-centered teaching and group work is that it requires much more effort. It's a lot harder for both the instructor and the student, the learner, to slide. You can't. Mm-hmm. But then now we get to the other issue, which you brought up before. I think it's actually, it's a good time to talk about it, is assessment. Mm-hmm. How do you assess a student centered classroom that you think you've mentioned a number of times is really a a major hurdle for a lot of people they don't see a way to do that effectively accurately and in a way that let's say is defensible to administration but most of the time I think it is but what do you think well can you do it i well i do it um
1: but um it for me, the, the, the hurdle that you, the, the biggest hurdle for this is what you just mentioned about the introverted student. And so into the, whatever your final assessment, your grade is going to be, um, you have to build in some other kind of tasks that don't involve that direct human interaction. So mm. some kind of paper, some kind of homework, make that part of the grade so that students who just, you know, in their own, their own language are not comfortable uh, communicating with people. And and I remember myself among those um, allows them to excel in, in some other way, uh, either with a, you know, written paper, different kind of reports, different um, something. And so uh, the, I guess what you talk about maybe what I guess it are my most flipped classes, the student centered things. But again, these are all these are all motivated students. They're all foreign language majors. They're all brilliant. They're all smarter than I am. <laughs> um, uh, they in the normal classroom they're then they're big classes, right? They're 40, 45 kids. Um, I run around the room. Um, they're, they're in groups of four or five and I run around the room. They've got each, each of them has like a sheet. And, um, you know, I burn and I hear English. Someone gets a, just a slash, just a, just a, you know, a little plus mark whatever. And I'm, I just do laps around the classroom and realizing that, yeah. Um, of course, uh, the, the introverted student is, is, is at a disadvantage here. And then, it, try it as much as i can to the extent that i i know the students watch for them and it's like you know okay this per, this person's you know really outgoing <laughs> their english is incredible um you know yeah they're 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 be like solid black from all the uh the talking that they're doing in class but uh also there, as part of their grade their assessment they've got weekly homework that they need to do uh there is a written paper that they're required to do and uh, there's also a uh, presentation that they have to do um, to small groups, and but those are those are graded by the students. Um, and so there's and and, and for each week that the students are expected to uh, do written preparation for that discussion topic, and it, and it's pretty heavy duty. I I, I demand a lot from them. Uh, each each of the units has as a study guide there's new vocabulary there's discussion questions they're expected to do their own research um and all this is to prepare them for discussion in class so it all i've got it to all work out pretty well but like you said, lots of lots of work
0: yeah one way by the way that I've gotten around that with the the group discussions is not only checking for students who are speaking but making sure that students are actively or in you know, engaged as listeners. Mm. You know, if they're nodding, taking notes, if they're keeping eye contact, um, then they get points also. And that way you can give the introvert a little bit of, you know, points also. That way the group, you know, there's an emphasis on the listening side as well as just the speaking side. Mm. But it's just, you know, more check marks, <laughs> more paperwork. But that way, at least the introverted student is getting a benefit. But the other thing I've done, too, you know, I think about the introverted students is I always in my classes, I emphasize that if you're an introverted student, just ask questions.
1: Well, that's hard. That's hard for them to do, too, though. Right. Yeah.
0: But it's easier than speaking. Yeah. Whatever I'm trying to do in terms of reducing the stress for that introverted student and giving them opportunities. But that's why, you know, there are points for, you know, really listening, focused listening and or at least, you know, giving all the physical indicators that you're listening. Because that's really the problem. Right? <laughs> yeah, that? yeah. You could really fake that one pretty well. Nod mm. your head, you know. I think my wife has gotten really good at that. <laughs> you know, just pre- pretending to listen and convincing me that she is. Oh, I'm I know what you mean. On. I'm going on and on and on and on and on and on. But see, Tony, on the podcast, I can't, I can't see you. So <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation it's an interesting problem so there's the physical limitations there's the general limitations of motivation and level and skills you know how interested the students are how comfortable they are and again right it's so much easier just to default to open your textbook to page seven do the dialogue and let's listen to the cd or whatever and do that and and i'm not saying that i never do that you know i Trust me, you know, it's, that would be not telling the truth at all. But I do know that that occurs when I have gotten enough or I've gotten feedback that somehow resonates in me that, you know, this is just not working. And it's just that actually when I measure how much learning I think is going to take place, it's probably better to go this way. And I wonder, you know, but that's different from not making the effort to go towards you know, more group work, more student-centered classes. And I think that's what we're really kind of asking ourselves, right? Mm, Yeah. In a certain sense is, you know, that is it because people have tried and it just hasn't worked with that class, or has there been no effort even to do that? Mm. So you've got two. And there are people who just don't even bother to try. Right. And I think the easiest way to recognize that is when you see the PowerPoint on the screen. Right, that... You know, here's an interesting thing, by the way. Talking about technology and student-centered, I stopped, um, you know, I think we both use websites for our classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I stopped using the projector. And I just tell the students, get out your get out your phones. <laughs> you know, take out your phone and look at the website. Mm. And it's great because now I don't have to go, you know, over to the, the office to get the key so that I can open up the cabinet so I can get the remote out and then, you know, lock everything up and walk back over. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's great I think we've talked about this before, and it's a pretty good training technique in some ways, is rather than playing a audio or a video for the entire class, let the students listen to the audio or watch the video on their phones. And what happens is you just say, "Okay, two students, one phone. And they'll get together and you can see that they they start talking and working together. So that's just a simple, you know, easier way. But it's interesting to see just how the technology actually is, I think, going to be moving us more in that direction. Because mm. right. they're really, I mean, you know, do you really need to have everything up on the screen now? Which just reinforces the, you know, it should be screen on the stage, sage on the stage. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I don't... I don't use uh, the projector for that kind of thing too much. Um, I'll use it often when, um, uh, with the class, I'm trying to put something together. So something more dynamic, right? So uh, ask them to put together, okay, what kind, you know, for example, a little bit lower level class. All right, um, I want to hear your follow-up questions. Like, like, I went shopping yesterday, boom, 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 and I'll, uh, as they, you know, give their responses. I'll type out their responses and everyone will see the responses uh, on the screen. I use, I do that kind of thing a lot where uh, the class together are kind of putting something together, which then they can then use in a, in a task and activity um, right after that. Um, And uh, I'll use a projector for example, to show like uh, at the beginning of the class, with classes that are going to do a lot of research, uh, kind of demonstrate search strategies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, mm. and see that so that you know, kind of live interaction type of thing. But I don't use it a lot for other things. Um,
0: yeah, it's real good with Socrative so they can see what the other students' responses are. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, point. yeah. That's that's very nice. That's very nice. Right.
0: That's really good. You know that Socrative works very well. But basically, that's the only time now mm. that I actually would use a projector. Mm. Mm. But I found mm. that, as you say, that it's just easier. There's no reason to do that anymore. Mm. And I, yeah, it's it's just an interesting thing to see happen. Mm. I'm not truly really sure, but we will shall see how things develop over the next few years. Uh-huh. Uh, and I wonder whether or not, or how much technology is going to force the change. If there's a certain point at which the technology just is so powerful, so easy to use, so effective that people have no choice but to go to a more flipped classroom with students working together because it's just overwhelmingly easier for everyone involved, more effective and more efficient. I don't know, but I couldn't... Kind of see that happening over the next five to ten years.
1: Well, certainly the technology is going to be um, different, better, and and easier. To, well, I hope easier to use. And I think just as big of a factor will be you know just the the rollover of 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 teachers and administrators um, who have grown up more used to technology um, and don't have a whole. They don't have life experience without it. It's it's, it's already they grew up with it. Um, you know, our students were born what nineteen ninety eight right now, nineteen
0: ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight. About yeah yeah so nineteen
1: ninety six to yeah. about a world without the internet is like so far in in but the, before they were born, um, when those kids become teachers and administrators. Um, I would think that, yeah, <laughs> technology in the classroom is going to be a, a given. Um,
0: I think it's going to have to wait until those people become administrators. Mm-hmm. Because there's still just, you know, the way that administration works is, at least from what I know mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. country, is it, it's an age seniority thing. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, who is it who said that um, – I think it was – Niels Bohr, someone, one of those famous physicists who said that science progresses one funeral at a time.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. Something like that.
0: There you go. Right. But, you know, we do have to see a gener- a new generation move into administration so that the things that teachers are doing and the younger teachers are doing is supported and accepted and, you know, and trusted.
1: Yeah, and it'll be a combination. And- yeah. So the, the, the younger people will be doing it and at the same time The technology itself would be much more of a no-brainer than it is now.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, because I can't, you know, I think I've mentioned this a number of times that on the first day of my class when I tell, because I want to show the students the website, and I say, take out your phones, and they all take out their phones and start turning them off. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what they, that's what. You know, it's it's Pavlo. That's you know, teacher says take out your phones. That's what happens at the center. You know, the the entrance exams. That's yeah. what happens. And instead of going, no, 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 keep your phones out, keep your phones on it. And it's just, it's hard for them. So we have to see that change. Hmm. So I don't know. Did I don't even think we answered the question at all? Did we? Actually, we kind of stayed. Oh, we did. Topic, but we, I think yeah, we which we is did, better we, than I mean, usual. Just,
1: it's just there's just not like a, a a solid answer. It's all kind of squishy but but I think I think we hit it all. Um you know, we address why why why, why I think we did very well. It's <laughs> so why things haven't changed. I think we we pretty much nailed it.
0: Right, and people are kind of like, "Okay, I knew that." <laughs> yeah,
1: well. But it's nice <laughs> but, to see it all laid out together.
0: Well, I'd like to I find it's useful just to hear myself and see how my thinking is going and mm. just get that kind of clarity and you know, just also I think that one of the things that's so true is as an educator teacher is that we do face that frustration of we know, we actually know <laughs> what we could do. Yeah, you know, if we pos- just had it be possible, right? we know what's in the realm of possible, what's in the realm of possibility. And wouldn't it just be nice if there just wasn't weren't limitations that or uh, n- unnecessary limitations on what we could do. And the The easiest, the easiest implementation is, you know, group work across the curriculum. Collaboration across the curriculum. It's just, you know, people embracing that, that this just has to be in every class. And that it's just supported to have students work. And then suddenly life becomes easier because you're not training your students how to work together. But that's what we've said before. So I think I'm going to stop at this point and zip my lips. (laughs) Well, I think we got it done. We we did the job. you want to give out all the vital information? Uh, Two teachers talking. At blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that'll get you. That'll get. That'll get you there. So that's okay. it. Okay. Well. Um, yeah, you're busy. I'm busy. Back to the. Back to the. Uh, the grind. grind the grind. Yeah.
0: Grind of salt mines. What, of no, weekend. What's a weekend? Huh, what's the definition of a weekend? It's time to get work done. Hmm. Okay. I think we're both always working with weekends, but. Okay.
1: Well, we're, almost, we're almost there. It's only halfway. We're almost halfway, right? It's about week seven.
0: Yeah, it is week Uh yeah, This will true. be week eight at some places yeah. for me. So awesome. A little bit. Yeah, at the halfway point. Okay. There we go. We've All right. Made it this far. Hang in okay, there. Tony. To see you soon. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.